So up to this point, obviously we have covered the days of creation and that it's as if, you know, God took a step back and said, it is good. We covered the, the Sabbath and that even with the Sabbath, even that day of rest, uh, using that as a way to, to point to uh, the gospel, to point to that eternal rest in Christ. And we've, we've talked fairly extensively about Adam and Eve and the fact that we as mankind, Adam and Eve specifically being made in the image of God and, and what that means that we are to exercise dominion over the earth. We are relational beings. Uh, we can reason and we can think through things. And um, so we discuss being made in God's image and we even use that word as kind of a verb that we are to image forth God or we are to image God out into uh, creation with the way that we relate to one another, with the way that we live and share in God's creation. So now today we come to the fall. So I know by looking out on the crowd, the vast majority of us grew up in church, we're familiar with the scripture. When we say, as believers, when we say the fall, what are we talking about? Just so I can make sure Everybody's awake this morning. I know you're awake. I'm testing the adults. I want to see if the adults are awake. I know you know the answer to this one. What? Well, we'll we'll see if the adults get it right. And if they don't get it right, I know that you can get it right. When we say the fall, what what are we talking about as Christians? Garden of Eden. And what? Okay, when they sin. When we say the fall, that is when sin entered into creation. Okay? So, that's what you were going to say, wasn't it? It's not? You were supposed to say yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we're going to look at today. God finishing the creation and, and having His uh, day of rest, implementing that Sabbath day of rest, saying that creation is good, Briefly, before we get to verse 1 of chapter 3, verse 15 of chapter 2, we have this plainly recorded for us. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God creates, declares that it is good. We have Adam and Eve and He places Adam in the garden and He gives him a command. He gives him His word in the form of a command. Or to use a different word, you could say He gives a law and says, you may surely eat of every tree. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And at this point, uh, a standard was set in place. A law, a command was set in place. And Adam was commanded, "Do do not overstep this law. Do not overstep this command. He was commanded. That's very strong language. God did not just... Make a suggestion and say, hey, that tree over there, you might not want to eat from that one. God, Adam's creator, 
gives a command. Do not eat of that tree. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. We get a glimpse into the purpose behind the law. The purpose behind the command. God knew that in the day that Adam ate of that fruit, he would surely die. And so now we come to Genesis 3, verse 1. But before we dive in, let's have another word of prayer before we do start to study through and walk through God's holy word. Father, we come before you once again this morning. And uh, I do pray that each and every one of us are humbled. That we have the opportunity to gather um, as brethren and study your word. God, I pray that as we study Your Word, that through Your Spirit, You would grant to us a right understanding of the Word. Lord, I pray that we're all aware that none of us could actually rightly understand Your Word in and of ourselves, but that any proper understanding we have of the Scriptures is yet another blessing and merciful gift that You have given to us. God, I pray... This morning as we study the fall that we would that we would be brought low in recognizing that we as human beings in the flesh we we will fall short. We are weak. But God, I pray that you would be made much of that we would see your mercy and your grace even in the fall that we would see your goodness and above all else that we would see your eternal plan. Your eternal mercy and grace and plan of salvation that is implemented through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would uh, cause us to mature in our understanding of the faith this morning. And I pray that it would all be for your glory alone. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, right out of the gate. You say, well, wait. No, the first thing that God said to Adam was, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. You may surely eat of it. The serpent says, Did he really say... um, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. It's literally the opposite of what was said. You may surely eat of any tree in the garden. Did God really say you shouldn't eat of any tree in the garden? And immediately you see that there is intentional doubt trying to be cast over Eve. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the tree of the garden. That is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. Lest you die. But the servant said to the woman. You will not surely die. Again. The exact. Opposite. Of what was said. God plainly told Adam. You shall not eat. Of this tree. For in the day you eat of it. You will surely die. So the servant says, you will not surely die. And then he goes on. 
and says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, there is some truth in that statement. After Adam and Eve partake of this fruit, they will be painfully aware that they are naked. They now recognize that there's this there's this shift in their understanding and something has happened. Because when they realize that they're naked, they immediately, they're going to try to make coverings for themselves. And then they end up trying to hide from the presence of God. So they realize we're naked, we're ashamed. And then they try to hide and run from the presence of God. And the reason that they want to run from the presence of God is they realize we're guilty. We did something we shouldn't have done. So they're, they're starting to, you see that they're going to start to gain this understanding of, of good and evil. We've done something we shouldn't have done. We need to hide from God. Because evil, sin, cannot stand in the presence of God. So we need to go and hide. Now, that's to come. I'm already getting ahead of myself a bit. But I know that all of us, we're familiar with the account of the fall. And I know that all of you are probably tracking in your minds already. Yep, next they're going to eat. Then they're going to blame one another. Or or no, then they make coverings for one another. Then they go and hide. And then when God comes on the scene, they try to blame one another and blame the serpent. But what we're going to try to do this morning is just take it step by step and, and really see what's taking place here. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now at that point, you know as well as I do that there there, there sometimes you can tempt people with the opportunity to have power or have the knowledge of something that they didn't have previously. It's just, it's feeding on our intrinsic uh, prideful desires. Well, I want to know more than I already know. Or I want to be more powerful than I already am. So the serpent, in essence, is saying, let me tell you the real reason he doesn't want you to eat from that tree. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to know what he knows. So then there's the temptation. Well, I mean, if that's the case, if I'm not going to die, surely, you won't surely die. Okay, well, if I'm not going to die, But not only am I not going to die, I'm actually going to increase in knowledge. So nothing bad is going to happen. It's actually going to be overwhelmingly good what happens when I eat of this tree. And you see how just like that, it went from something, do not eat of this tree, you will surely die, to, oh, something really good is going to happen when I eat this. And is that not how temptation continues to work to this very day? Especially children growing up and they're told, don't do that, don't do that. Something within us says, somebody is keeping me from experiencing something that I probably need to experience. They're trying to keep me from having a good time. They're trying to keep me from something that's going to be fun, that's going to help me, that's going to cause me to grow. They just They're trying to hold me back. And just that inerrant, rebellious desire to... Nobody's going to hold me back. Nobody's going to tell me what I can and can't do. Even that has gotten a lot of people to do stuff that... I would venture to say there's probably a good number of times that people would say, Yeah, I kind of wish I wouldn't have done that. 
But even that example falls way, way short of what we're talking about here. Because what we're talking about here is the one true holy God of all creation told Adam, commanded Adam, do not eat of that tree. And what we're about to read is that Adam and Eve both ate of the tree. Yes, there was a temptation there. But there had to already be something within Adam and Eve that was able to give in to that temptation. Something to prey on, so to speak. Verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So regardless of how, we're not given all the details, but Adam was there in some way, shape, or form, and clearly he took a passive role in this affair. Eve ate first, then gave to Adam, and then Adam partook. We have a few reversals in this. Adam and Eve were given dominion over the creation. They They were told to subdue, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion over it. And here they are listening to the creation. This serpent comes along and says, did God really say? And they end up going with what the serpent said over what their own creator said. We also have, it. it would seem... We also have Eve kind of either taking charge or at the very least Adam sitting in the back seat and just letting it play out. Either one of those scenarios is not what God has intended for the male and the female in marriage, in relationship. But she gave to her husband who was with her and he ate as well. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So note what happened. Remember last week, before we closed out, I really wanted you guys to pay attention to that last verse in chapter 2. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Verse 25 of chapter 2. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Creation was good. Sin had not yet entered into the world. Adam and Eve had been given their instructions, their commands. And they were unashamed. They were not ashamed. As soon as they eat of this tree, their eyes were open. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They were ashamed. Notice that they made coverings for themselves. Hold that. We'll bring that up again. They made their own coverings. They said, we're naked, we're ashamed. We need to cover ourselves. We need to make a covering for ourselves. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
Why would they have a desire to hide from the presence of God? It is because they knew they were guilty. And right here in Genesis chapter 3, listen, the natural response for someone who has fallen in sin and is and they know that they are guilty, their natural inclination is not to run to God, but to run away from God. And that is given to us plainly here. Adam did not run to God and say, I'm so sorry, this is what I have done, I'm guilty, please forgive me. No, they run away and they hide. They do not want to be in the presence of God. But the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? I'm going to state the obvious. God knew where Adam and Eve were. We're all aware of that, right? God did not lose track of Adam and Eve. But this is a question that is going to cause Adam to come face to face, full force, with his actions. Adam is accountable for giving a response to this question. Adam, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I was afraid. And God said, who who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you? Not to eat. And at this point, Adam says, Yes, Lord, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I have done wrong. I acknowledge my guilt before you. I acknowledge my sin before you. Please forgive me. Is that what happens next? The natural inclination of the fallen creature is not to just run to God, confess our faults, repent, and turn to Him. The natural inclination is to say, well, the woman that you gave me, we try to justify our actions. We try to give that, well, here's why I did what I did. Not, I've done wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Let me tell you why I did it. Then you'll understand where I'm coming from. Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit, or the fruit of the tree, and I ate. So Adam does say, I ate. But before he says the two words, I ate, he says, The woman that you gave me. So not only is Adam trying to cast the attention back on Eve. He's also pointing to back to God. Well, you're the one who gave me this woman in the first place. The woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit. And yes, I did eat it. So then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, even that is a fairly more direct response than I would say that Adam gave. The woman just says, serpent deceived me. Yes, I ate. 
Now, in this account, <clears throat> who would you say, who is the guilty party? Who is guilty? Adam and Eve. Okay? The people are guilty. Okay? Now you could say, well, the serpent's fairly guilty too because he tempted them and, and we know that God's going to curse the serpent. Absolutely. But as far as God the Creator and His creation, who is guilty? And it is Adam and Eve that have gone directly against the command, do not eat of that tree. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now already you might be thinking to yourself, they're not dead yet. They're still living. They made coverings for themselves. They went and hid from God. God is allowing them to speak with Him, converse with Him. It doesn't seem like they're dead yet. And I know, because I've read a little bit of Genesis, Adam and Eve actually live really, really long lives. So what gives? Jesus said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam and Eve both lived really, really long lives. So, what gives? Purpose. Purpose. Briefly, I want to take a break from Genesis 3. I want us to go to Ephesians 1. Y'all hold your spot there in Ephesians one. I want to read. Uh, I want to read something real quickly from chapter two. So just listen to these words. This is Ephesians two, verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of, bo- of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ, with Christ, By grace you have been saved. Okay? So twice the word dead was used there. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, He made us alive with Christ. Adam and Eve surely died the day that they ate of the fruit. It was a spiritual death. That is why we call it the fall. Adam and Eve were created upright. Biblically, theologically, upright meaning that they they were created sinless. They had not sinned yet. They had not experienced sin. They did not know what sin was. They were created upright. When they broke the command of God, when they went against the command of God, they fell in their sin. They were dead in their trespasses and sin. Spiritually 
dead, needing to be revived, needing to be made alive. And in those verses that I just read, Paul makes it plain. He says this, and he's speaking to believers, but he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature, by nature, children of wrath. Meaning that in our natural state, by nature, in our fleshly state, we are children of wrath. If we are born, if we are born in the flesh, we live our lives and we are never born again. Okay? Tracking with me? If we are born in the flesh, we live our lives on earth and we are never born again and then we die, we will receive the wrath of God. We are children of wrath. That is why Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. By nature, if all we ever have is that first birth, we are born, we live our earthly lives, we are never born again, we, we are never raised to new life in Jesus Christ, then when we die, we will receive the wrath of Almighty God. That is our natural state. If that was not our natural state, then Jesus would have never said, you must be born again. So now we look at Ephesians 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now, there's, a, there's many different directions I could go right here, but for the sake of this Genesis study, and just to put something in perspective here, if God is already choosing people in Christ, in Christ, have we read anything about Christ being born, coming to earth, dying on the cross? In the first three chapters of Genesis 3, have we read any of that? Before the foundation of the earth. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. God the Father had a plan of redemption that was through Christ the Son. And He had that plan of redemption planned and settled before the earth, the world, was even created. Earlier, Larry used a word, he simply said, purpose. There is a purpose behind all that God does And you can bank on that. You can rest assured there is a purpose in all that God does. I'm going to read a little bit further. I'm going to make one more point. It's still the same point, but you're going to see it from a different angle. 
Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, being Christ, to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. Now, to summarize that for you, what Paul has just said here is that we believers, we have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven. We have received the riches of His grace. God making known to us the mystery of His will. And at that point, all of our ears should perk up and say, well, I I want to know what that mystery is. I want to, what is Paul talking about? What mystery was revealed? Biblically speaking, a mystery is something that was not previously revealed, but it has been revealed now. So when Paul says the mystery of his will has been revealed, our ears should perk up and say, okay, well, what was that? What was that mystery? What was that will? Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which He set forth in Christ. So there's two indicators. The will of God, the will of God is according to the purpose of God. And this will of God that has been revealed was set forth in Christ. So Christ has always been a part of this redemptive will of God. And it's a plan for the fullness of time. So fullness of time is just a phrase that means from the beginning of the earth to the end of the earth. So God's plan for the fullness of time is to unite all things in Christ. God's plan for the fullness of time according to His purpose is to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven And things on earth. And that plan included God before the foundations of the earth, God choosing a people, giving a people to the Son before the foundation of the earth. And the reason that I am really emphasizing before the foundation of the earth is this. If people were already designated or marked, chosen as being in Christ before the foundation of the earth. If Adam and Eve had lived perfect, sinless lives, there would be no need for Christ. And there would be no uniting things in Christ. Because we wouldn't need Him. If Adam and Eve were perfect, they would have begotten or given birth to perfect sinless children. And if those children would have continued to have been perfect, then they would have begotten perfect sinless children. We wouldn't need Christ. We wouldn't need a Savior. We wouldn't need redemption. 
We wouldn't need to be united with Christ because that fellowship would have never had been broken by sin. So what I'm driving at ultimately is this. Even the fall itself was ultimately part of God's plan. God was not thrown off when Adam and Eve sinned. God didn't say, well, I wanted Adam and Eve to be perfect for eternity. They've messed up that plan, so now I'm going to plan B. God has never had a plan B. Because He's God. He has a plan A. Or a plan capital G, if that helps you remember that He only needs one plan. God did not have to change His will or change His approach when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. You say, Caleb, how can you so confidently make that statement? Because before the foundations of the earth, before Adam and Eve were even here, before the fall ever happened, God had already chosen a people in Christ. Which means there's going to be a need for Christ. Which means He's going to be the Redeemer of His people. Which means He's going to be the way of salvation for all who believe. If there is no fall, there is no need for Christ. The fall is a part of God's great and eternal plan. Now I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you that I know all the ins and and the outs of God's plan. And if you ever meet somebody like that, I would encourage you just politely but firmly walk away from the situation. Because if you're talking to a human being that says, I know all the ins and outs of God's will, I can tell you exactly what was going on when this happened, you may be talking to a lunatic. Or at the very least, a liar. Because we're not given any more details about creation or the fall or all of the, all of the details of God's good and perfect eternal plan other than what we're given in Scripture. That is why I so carefully and emphatically and repetitively read those words from Scripture. That's not Caleb giving you his opinion. Paul tells us in Ephesians that it has been God's plan since the beginning to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. In order to unite all things in Christ, there has to be a purpose for Christ to come and redeem and unite. If there was never a fall, there would never be a need of a Savior. If there was never a fall, there would never be a need for Redeemer. Furthermore, if there was never a fall, Adam would be our Savior, not Christ. You get that? If Adam is our representative before a holy God... If we are able to say, God, I am right before you because my father Adam never sinned. Then Adam is our Savior, not Christ. But when we stand before a holy God, our only hope is that Christ's righteousness, His perfect account is credited to our account. And so now we come back to the fall. We start with the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. 
He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, I want to be very clear on this. What we just read is not God coming up with a plan on the fly as to how to respond to sin. This is not God saying, I really wish this wouldn't have happened, so now, now I've got to bring my son into this. Because when we read the words, you will bruise his head, or he will bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. When we look at the rest of Scripture, we know what, what this is pointing to. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent when he died upon the cross. Jesus firmly, soundly, eternally defeated our greatest foe. He conquered sin and death upon the cross. And with His, and with, and with his resurrection three days later. The head of the serpent has been crushed under the foot of Christ. And all believers ought to say, Amen. And that's here in Genesis 3. And that is not God coming up with a plan on the fly, adjusting His approach and saying, well, i got to go to plan B. I didn't want to have to bring my son into this, but now that Adam did what he did, I've got to bring my son into it. This was the plan the whole time. For those of you who may have not been aware that, yes, that what we just read, that's the gospel. The, the head of the serpent has been crushed. Satan is defeated. Sin and death have been defeated. You say, well, how on earth were they defeated? When Christ died upon the cross, He paid the penalty for the, for the sins of all who would ever believe. He paid the price for the sins of all that the Father had given Him before the foundation of the earth so that we can boldly proclaim to everyone, all who come to Christ in faith will be saved. Because... The enemy, the serpent, has been defeated. Victory has been won. Redemption has been purchased. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. By the way, simply put, I know some people might chuckle at this, and I'm not saying this to pick on women. I'm just, if you've ever wondered, why is childbirth so painful this is your answer it is a result of the fall whenever a woman gives birth maybe not in the heat of the moment but whenever a woman gives birth it should be for the Christian it should be a direct connection to saying I know why it has to be this way I know why it is this way. And praise God, there is coming a day where there will be no more pain. There will be no more pain. Because the only reason that this was so painful was because we are in a sin-cursed world. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, For sake of this sermon, I'm just going to sum that up real quick. Basically what that means is, you're going to have the desire to be over your husband, but he's going to be over you. 
And if you look around at the world we live in today, we all ought to be able to say, I can tell that's true. God wasn't bluffing when He said that. And the fact that women try to rule the household or, the, or that women try to have dominion over their husband is a result of the fall. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall, you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, uh, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, we've got farmers and even people who have just backyard gardens, right? Or we may have some women or men who just like to plant flowers in the yard and have some good landscaping. Okay? But for anybody who's ever done any farm work... Um, would it be a whole lot more enjoyable to do the farm work if you could do it without sweating and laboring and toiling? If you could just go out there, do the work, you didn't lose any of your energy, you never got tired, you just went out there, planted the seed, when harvest time came around, you didn't have to worry about harvesting it in a certain amount of time, you could just go get it whenever you were ready and it was all there for you. I mean, would that, would that make your job easier? Does anybody want to answer that question? Yeah. Say, why is it that we have to that we have to work the ground? Why is it that we have to prep the ground before we even plant the seed? Why is it that the ground we feel like the ground is fighting back against us? Like this is this is hard soil. We really got to work to break this up. And what's up with all these weeds? I mean, it would be awesome. We could just plant a crop, not have to worry about weeds. You just plant the crop, reap the harvest, good to go. That'd be wonderful, right? How many of you get upset when there's weeds in your garden? I saw somebody looking at their spouse. I'm not naming names, but I seen it. So I know there's at least one person in here gets upset when there's some weeds in the garden. It'd be great to not have weeds, right? If the ground didn't fight back against you. Everything about creation that we would view as negative or irritating or bothersome or even just exhausting. I wish that we didn't get exhausted. I wish I never had to have a nap. I wish I didn't even have to sleep. You know how much more stuff we could get done if we could just work 24 hours and not have to sleep? But we got to have six to eight hours or at least that's what the doctor says. It would be awesome if we could just work and not get tired. Right? All of those things are reminders that we are fallen creatures. That there is something there that reminds us we're not strong enough. We're not powerful enough. If somebody does try to start going without sleep and they just want to work, work, work for seven days a week with no sleep, what's going to happen to them if they keep that up? They'll die an early death. They'll have serious medical problems. People who don't sleep, they might start hallucinating. It, it, it does a serious work on the human mind. We can't function without sleep. Somebody who doesn't go out and tend to the garden or tend to the crop and just lets the weeds overgrow them and they're not working the soil and they're not prepping beforehand. They're not going to have a good harvest. If they let the weeds overtake it, might not have a harvest at all. You've got to stay on top of it. Well, that's hard work. When I go out there, I get exhausted. I sweat. I'm, I, I can't even hardly stand up. I feel like I'm about to pass out. The bear might get me. You know, whatever you want to throw out there. I wish that stuff didn't happen. 
And when people say stuff like that, or when you yourself, you start to wish, I wish it wasn't this way. You need to remind yourself, what you're longing for is glory. What you're longing for, biblically speaking, is the new heavens and the new earth. What you're longing for is eternity with God. But until then, we're here on an earth that is sin-cursed. And all of those things ought to be reminders to us, God is who He says He is. When we're laboring and we're toiling and we're complaining about life and this is too much hard work and this is too much, and what is that? Faith should bring us back to where we say, that's right. Sin-cursed earth. God is true. I have even more of a reason now to believe that God is who He says He is because that is the answer as to why there is suffering and toil and labor and everything here on this side of heaven. God is who He says He is. And because I suffer and because I'm aging and because we die, man, we need a Savior. Because we're not strong enough, we're not powerful enough, and we are sinful people. And we need a Savior. And praise God, that Savior crushed the head of the serpent just like God said He would in Genesis 3. The last thing that I'll mention, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed him. Oh, what a picture of the Gospel. Adam and Eve had already clothed themselves. They made coverings for themselves. But the coverings that they made for themselves in their own works and in their own deeds could do nothing to make them right before a holy God. But that same holy God, He made coverings for them. From His own sacrifice. Something had to die. And God took of that sacrifice and covered Adam and Eve. That is the gospel. None of us, not a one of us, could ever cover ourselves to the point that we would not have to be ashamed standing before a holy God. But the gospel is this. God took His wrath and poured it out upon another Namely, His Son, Jesus Christ. And because of that sacrifice, God has clothed us in righteousness and in blamelessness. Not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but because He is a merciful and gracious God. And His plan for the fullness of time is to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word.